So this morning I'd like to carry on with what I've been preaching out of Mark, and uh, just to remind you the reason that we're doing this is because we want to get to know Jesus, we want to understand the person of Jesus, and what he came to do, and why he came to do it, and um, the last time I preached, I looked at Jesus as a prayerful man, and Jesus as a preacher, uh, if you remember those two things. And I said, just I want to summarize quickly, firstly, just in terms of Jesus as a prayerful man, that he was perfect, he was sinless, and yet the source of his strength was that he spent time with his Father. And he regularly in his life prayerfully considered everything that he had to do and asked God for wisdom all the time. And so I put it to you that um, we too, who are imperfect, should be giving ourselves in prayer to asking our perfect Father how best we can live our lives. And I just said to you, secondly, that uh, that's the source of our strength, and if we fail to understand that's the source of our strength, then we'll fail to see the need to pray. But once we understand that's the source of our strength, then it motivates us to pray. Because then God makes himself perfect, our, his strength perfect in our weakness. And I said, secondly, that... Um, it, it's something of, reflects something of the mind of Christ, that we are prayerful in all things that we do. And so then I also looked at Jesus the preacher, and I looked at that verse that said, Jesus said, this is why I've come, to preach the good news. And uh, I try to encourage you that God bestows honor on preaching, and um, those that preach should be speaking on God's behalf, they should be speaking God's word to us. And I said that's really a mark of a healthy church, is that there's a primacy of the word that is pioneered from the pulpit, and it should then uh, be reflected in the complete life of the church, that there are people that honor the Word of God. They want to make the Word of God central to their lives. And I said to you that Paul's great charge to Timothy was not to have a committee. It wasn't to do a whole lot of things. Uh, we looked at those things. Is Paul's great charge to Timothy was to preach the Word. Preach the Word. And I remember 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate, accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. This was Paul's charge to Timothy. And I said to you that's the great opportunity that we have through our lives, is all of us preach some kind of gospel. We preach a gospel to ourselves, and we preach a gospel through our lives to our friends and families. And I wanted to try to encourage you that you would give yourself to preaching the good news of Jesus through your life, as you live your life before him. And then I said to you that there are some that are critical of, of this kind of preaching. And I'm concluding the summary with this. Uh, there are some, particularly in this postmodern kind of culture that we uh, have grown up in, that say because our culture has changed, we need to not, no longer preach like I'm doing to you now, but we need a more inclusive way of preaching. We need people to be able to interrupt and say, I've got a question in the middle of, of the meeting. They say we must be less authoritarian. We must be less, more communal, more inclusive. We should just let people say whatever they need to say and ask questions in the middle of a church meeting, for example. Um, I think those things are useful. Useful. I said that in a couple of weeks ago, that actually we do need forums where people can ask questions. We do need forums where we can have uh, our questions answered and we can dialogue and discuss. But I said to you that 
Sunday morning is not one of those forums. Why? Because there's something appropriate about all of us humbly submitting to the Word of God and just letting the Word of God transform us. And just saying, Jesus, out of humility, I do trust that what I'm hearing from the pulpit is what you want to say to me right now, and I'm going to keep quiet. I'm going to listen. I'm going to lay down my pride, and in humility, I'm going to say, Jesus, speak to me through your word. And Mark Deva, I quoted Mark Deva, he said this, there's something right and good about this ancient method of preaching that makes it appropriate, perhaps even especially appropriate for our culture today. In our isolating, subjectivist culture where everyone is just doing their own thing, in this anti-authoritarian culture where everyone is confused and is confusing, there's something appropriate about us all gathering and listening to someone who is standing in the place of God, giving giving His Word to us as we contribute nothing other to it than hearing it and heeding it. And so I want to encourage you as I preach this morning that all of us would have a soft heart, including myself. I'm not saying that preachers are infallible. I'm not saying that preachers don't make mistakes. But I believe God speaks through the words, and He speaks through preaching. Jesus came saying, this is what I came to do. This is what Jesus said um, was His mission, was to be a preacher of the good news. And that's what we want to give ourselves to increasingly. Amen? And our response is, Jesus, please just change us. Help us to hear so that we can change, that the Word can transform us. Amen? And so I would like to look today then, uh, out of Mark, at Jesus healing the leper, and basically just want to look at two things, the authority of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus. And uh, Mark chapter 1 verse 40, we're going to read five verses together. It just says this, And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See to it that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Um, Remember, we had a look at one day in the life of Jesus' ministry and there were those amazing miracles that he did. One in the synagogue, which was a public miracle. One in Peter's house, which was a private miracle. And those demonstrated his authority over the demonic and over illness. And this is a last little incident that is inserted here before Mark starts talking about the rising opposition that Jesus had to his ministry. And if you read on in chapter three, chapter 2 and 3, you see increasingly the Pharisees are getting more and more angry with Jesus and he's experiencing more opposition. But he has a little story that Mark inserts between that day of ministry and him describing these things. And the point of the story is, is that this leper comes... And Jesus is moved with compassion, and he reaches out and touches this man, and he heals him. And the point is this, that Jesus was not looking for fame, but because of this man, fame came came to him in a way that he didn't want. He wanted to preach. He knew he was not yet, his time had not yet fully come. He was wanting to get on with the, the job of preaching, 
And because this man went around speaking about what Jesus had done for him, which was a good thing, it brought increasing opposition to Jesus, which was not what he was looking for at that time. And I just want to say this. Of all the stories of healing in the Bible, really, in the New Testament, all the stories of healing, leprosy for me is the most marvelous and the most miraculous of what Jesus does. Why do I say that? Well, simply because it was such a dreadful disease. The nature of leprosy in those times was unbelievable. Uh, there's no testament, there's no disease in the New Testament that uh, moved people to such terror than leprosy did. And also moved people to such pity for people that had leprosy. And nowadays we understand very little of leprosy because it's not common in our culture anymore, except in some places still in the world where there's great poverty. And there were, I was reading this week, there were different kinds of leprosy. There was nodular leprosy, which affected your body in a certain way. There was tubular uh, leprosy, which infected the inside of your body as well. You got these growths inside of you. And then there was anesthetic leprosy, which was a combination of some of these uh, symptoms. And you started losing the feeling in your extremities. And so one by one, you would lose your toes and your ears and your nose and your fingers because you couldn't feel them anymore. And so, for example, people would be cooking because they couldn't feel their... Their fingers, they would burn themselves and their fingers would fall off. And so, literally, your body would rot from the inside and from the outside. This was a terrible, terrible, terrible disease. It affected your blood, your skin, your flesh, your bones. Horrific disease. And in, in addition to that, by Jewish law, Jewish custom, people that were affected by leprosy were unclean. And so, they couldn't just live in normal communities. They were excluded from the community. I read also this week that they could go to the synagogue, but they had to come uh, separate from the others. They had to come by a different entrance. They had to be screened off from the rest of the worshippers in the church meeting, in the synagogue meeting. And so they could come and worship, but they couldn't see anyone else. And even in God's presence, they were excluded from the community. What a terrible thing! And that's what people carried who had leprosy. It's not, it wasn't just a physical thing. It was the alienation from the community. It was the sense of being separate and never quite being able to be part of the community and part of the family. And that's what they carried as an emotional heaviness in their lives as well. And so um, Leviticus 13.45 makes it quite clear. It says, this is what the law said about someone who had leprosy. The leprous person who has this disease shall wear torn clothes and let his hair of his head hang loose, and he will cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean, and he will remain unclean as long as he has the disease, he is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling will be outside the camp. And so this is what lepers faced and uh, how they had to live their lives. And so this leper comes to Jesus and he says, can you make me clean? And really, he's not asking for ritual clean, cleansing, because you know in, in Old Testament law that if people were unclean, if they touched a dead body, for example, or touched something that was unclean, the priest would make them ritually clean. And what that meant was that they would have to go before the priest, and he would say, these are the sacrifices that you need to offer according to your income. And so rich people would offer expensive animals, and poor people would offer less expensive animals, and he would perform a ritual over them, and uh, he would cleanse them with hyssop, and he would do a whole lot of things, according to Moses' law in Leviticus, and they would be declared ritually clean. And then they could go back into the, God's people, into the synagogue, and they could worship. So there was a ritual cleansing that they had to go through. When this man comes, this leper comes, and asks Jesus, can you make me clean? He's not talking about ritual cleansing. 
Any priest could do that. He is asking for what is impossible. He is asking Jesus for a miracle. Now he wants to be clean. He wants to, he wants to be made whole. There was no cure for leprosy. It was incurable. Once you had it, it was a death sentence. He's coming to Jesus. He's saying, I need a miracle. And so, the, here is the, the compassion of Jesus, the first thing I, I want to look at. You know, I was reflecting this week, often people that have authority don't normally have much compassion. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> people that have great authority seldom have compassion. It's also true that people that are very compassionate seldom have authority. And that's the problem, isn't it? Great compassion, but no authority. Can't make anything happen. And yet Jesus lives out this wonderful grace in his life where he has absolute authority and he has infinite compassion. And the two come together in the most wonderful way in his life. And so this man already, I was just thinking this, this, this week, can you, I was trying to get inside his head and try and understand what he must have felt like coming to Jesus. Can you imagine what he must have felt like? In the morning, he was an outcast. He was cut off from his family, cut off from his community. In some ways, he was the walking dead. Did you ever see that movie called Dead Man Walking? About uh, the system in America? It's a horrific movie. And uh, when they're taking these guys to the gallows to be put on an electric chair, they literally say, the warden walks behind the guy saying, Dead Man Walking. He's already dead. Walking to the, his execution. This man with leprosy must have felt like a dead man. No future, no life, no hope, no joy, no sense of anything when he got up in the morning. And when he, by the time the sun went down at night, he was healed. He was set free. He was clean. There was a hope and a future and a joy in his life. Can you imagine what he must have felt? Man. And I can understand why he wanted to go and tell people. I really can. I mean, when you've come out of that situation, you must want to go and tell your friends and your family. But Jesus says, don't speak to anyone. And he's got reason for saying that. But secondly, I want to just say, in the compassion of Jesus, Jesus' compassion is reflected in the fact that this man had already broken the law by coming to Jesus anyway. He'd already broken the ritual law. He'd already broken all the rules by coming to Jesus. And what he said to Jesus, Jesus did what no one else was prepared to do. Why? Because if you touched a leprous person, the chances were you might get that leprosy yourself. So people didn't want to touch leprous people. Can you imagine what it's like to go through your life without ever getting a hug, without ever having any physical attention from anybody? Can you imagine what that must be like? And so Jesus reaches out and he touches a man that no one else is prepared to touch and he heals him. Compassion of Jesus. And the authority of Jesus, obviously, is that he does what is impossible. And I just want to look thirdly at this, um, this instruction to keep quiet. Remember, Jesus came. We looked at it. This is why I came. I want to preach the word of God. And so he knows this is going to hinder him if this man tells others about uh, what he's done. But there's a challenge here from Jesus, which is quite a subtle thing that I didn't see. The first time. Because he goes and he says to this man, don't tell anyone else, but go to the priests. Go to the synagogue and show them that you have been made well. Show them that you are clean. Show them, by the law of Moses, that you have been made well. Something impossible has happened in your life. Go and show the priests. 
And some of the translations actually say, some of the commentaries actually say, the best translation for that verse is that it should read, as a testimony against them. Go and do this as a testimony against them, the priests. And so Jesus is very subtly challenging the religious leaders. He's saying, in a way, he's saying this to them. If you recognize that this man has been made clean, and there is a miracle in his life, and an impossible thing has happened, and you go through the ritual as prescribed by Moses, and you declare, the priest, you declare him to be clean, and you do not recognize the one who has done the miracle, you are condemned by your own evidence. That's what he's saying. He is challenging them. Already Jesus is, is getting in the face of the religious authorities who didn't want to recognize him. This kind of preacher from the back end of nowhere who came and now is doing these extraordinary things. Wasn't part of the institution. Outside of the religious institution, just doing amazing things for God's people. He's challenging them. He's saying, go and tell it to the priest, but tell no one else. Why? Because the priests need to be challenged about what they're saying about who I am. You get it? It's an amazing thing. And so... He goes, and this man unfortunately goes away, and um, he tells everybody what Jesus has done for him. We're not sure if this man did obey Jesus and go and show himself to the priests, but we do know that in spite of this great mercy that he'd received from Jesus, he didn't do what Jesus asked him to do. I was just thinking about that in my own life. How many times... Don't I willfully take the blessings of God? And I, in one sense, I'm very grateful for them, but I don't always obey Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that amazing for all of us, all our lives? <clears throat> we can give some kind of gratitude to Jesus, but sometimes he doesn't get our obedience. <laughs> and he wants both. He wants our gratitude and he wants our obedience. And this disobedience of this leper brought actual damage to Jesus' ministry. And I want to put it to you that our disobedience, when we don't do what Jesus tells us to do, it damages not only ourselves, but it can damage other people, it can damage the, the, the ministry of the church. And so I, I felt God say this to me. There is a time that we need to speak of the good things of Jesus and what he's doing for us, but there are other times when God might say, I want you to keep quiet. I don't want you to speak right now. Just keep quiet. Don't, don't worry. I'll, I'll do speaking on your behalf. You just keep quiet and you just get on and do what I've called you to do. And so there is this thing of having zeal to declare what God is doing and having knowledge. The Bible says we need both zeal and knowledge. Knowing the time to speak. Sometimes we, we say the right thing, but at the wrong time. And it's not helpful. Isn't that right? And so I felt God speak to me and just say, actually, there's a time for all things. In fact, Ecclesiastes says there's a time to speak and there's a time to keep quiet. And I've been praying, saying, God, help me in my life to know when to speak and to know when to keep quiet. I don't want to damage what you're doing. I want to be obedient. I want to help break open your kingdom. But let me know when to keep quiet and let me know when to speak. And I want to say in our culture... I think the majority of us living in England, we don't shout the praises of God enough. I want to say that as a baseline. I think we should be declaring God's goodness much more. I think we should be bold as lions to declare the good things that God is doing because our culture is saying to us, don't be so enthusiastic. Don't, don't be so... It's, it's, um, 
It's a bit vulgar to be enthusiastic. So just tone it down, not so loud. Would you agree? Uh, I didn't know this, but Matt told me yesterday at the wedding, I mean, I've never preached there before, the sound man said, uh, came up to him and said, I, said I, I heard this preacher is a raving preacher, <laughs> speaking about me. Does he need a microphone? So, I don't mind being called a raving preacher. I don't think I do rave, but anyway, if people say I rave, that's fine. I want to rave about Jesus. I want to rave about the good things that he's doing. And let's be bold as lions. Let's, um, let's be those that boldly declare the goodness of God. Yeah? So the authority and the compassion of Jesus is reflected in the story. And then I, I was just thinking of this. You might say, oh, Aunt, that's very well, leprosy, I understand all that stuff, but we don't have le- leprosy right now in our, in our community, our culture. What does that have to do with me? Well, I felt God give me a very simple thing. There is something that affects all of us. There is something that is ingrained in all of us that none of us can free ourselves from. It affects our bodies, it affects our spirit, it affects our nature, it affects our heart, our wills, our conscience, our memory, our emotions. It affects everything that we are about. It cuts us off from community. It cuts us off from God's people. It makes us unfit for the presence of God and for the glory of heaven. There is something that affects all of us, like leprosy. It can't be cured by a doctor. And worst of all, this thing is dragging us down to a godless eternity and separation from Him. In fact, the Bible in the Old Testament says, sin makes us unclean, just like a leper. It makes us unclean. It cuts us off from God's people. It cuts us off from God. It is the great thing that separates us from God, is sin. And I, I want to say this, that in a basic way, we need to discover that apart from Jesus, apart from Christ, there's no good thing in us. Unless the Holy Spirit is transforming us from one degree of glory to another, unless we are willfully, uh, happily submitting ourselves to the grace of God, there's nothing good in us of ourselves. And I want to say, happy are we when we discover that, because when we discover that, we are one step closer to the cure, and the cure is what? The cure is putting all our trust in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The cure is Him. He is the one that takes with one word, He can cure us from this thing that plagues all of humanity. The cross has done its work. We have been rescued. There's a cure for all of us. And um, some things are available to us because of our faith in Jesus. I was just reflecting on this little verse. I'll be be another five minutes. Romans 5, one of my favorite verses. Just a little summary for you of Romans, quickly, in 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 a very brief way. The first three chapters of Romans can be summarized in one sentence. We are in trouble. We are in deep trouble, up to our neck in trouble. Paul, in the most amazing way, paints this picture of the whole of, of mankind that is fallen because of sin. The whole of creation is fallen, and he says we need to be rescued, and he paints this picture of our need of rescue. And in the second half of chapter 3 and chapter 4, he says this, he says, we cannot save ourselves. And isn't that much of how our community and our culture lives? We can save ourselves. We can just try harder. We can live by rules. 
we can put our faith in science and technology and mankind can educate himself to a better state, a higher state of being, and we can save ourselves. Ultimately, we can save ourselves. And Paul, this great mind, this great gift to the church, he comes to the logical conclusion, having discussed all of that stuff, he says, I come to this conclusion, we cannot save ourselves. Our righteousness, the good things that we do, even those things, are broken. Our righteousness is even broken. We cannot do... How many of you have the tendency always to do the right thing? Anyone here? (laughs) Me? I have the tendency to always do the wrong thing. I said at the wedding yesterday, my wife often says to me, I'm not the enemy. Sometimes I make my wife the enemy. She's not the enemy. The enemy is, yeah, the rotten attitude, rotten heart. That's where the enemy is, always. And we like like to put our problems on everyone else, isn't it? Now the problem is always, yeah, first and foremost. I said also that for me, marriage has been the most wonderful relationship to practice forgiveness. Year after year, week after week, day after day, hour after hour. Experiencing, literally living in the grace of God. Saying, God, please forgive me. (laughs) And my wife saying, please forgive him. (laughs) Yes? And this is the brilliant verse that Paul says, and I'm not going to take long with this, but Paul says, because we're in trouble and we can't rescue ourselves, All we can do is put our faith in Jesus, who is the perfect one, and his perfect faith makes us acceptable to God. And he uses this thing, this phrase, he says, we have a justification not from ourselves, but from God. God even gives us this gift of Jesus, and because we believe in him, we are made right with him. And then he goes on in chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified, because we have this great faith that has set us right before God, we have, and there are six blessings that he lists, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ Jesus died for the ungodly. For no one will die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What an amazing portion. Six blessings for you. One, when you know Jesus, you have peace with God. Right now, peace with God. How many of our cultures full of people running around trying to find peace? Economic peace. Peace in their relationships. Peace, political peace. There's one peace that comes before all of those pieces. It is the peace that comes from God. When you are right with God, every other peace flows out of your life. The first place we need peace is with God. Paul says the only way to get peace in your life 
is first to have peace with God. And the only way you can get peace with God is through the blood of Jesus, by believing on what He has done. Maybe there's some of you today who might be visiting and say, I don't have peace. Well, I want to encourage you, if you are searching for peace, the only way to get peace is through the blood of Jesus. Once you are reconciled to your Father, you can be reconciled to everybody else. Amen? The second thing he says is we enter immediately into a kingdom of grace. Grace changes everything. (laughs) I'll say that over and over again. The kingdom of grace, instantly, what does that mean? It means that once you are saved, you no longer live by rules. You don't try and please God by being a moral person. You you don't try and please your friends by doing the right thing. What you rely on is that you already are made right with God and there's a Holy Spirit inside of you that is inspiring you every single day to do the right thing because of your life for Jesus. Kingdom of grace. And you never move from a kingdom of grace back into the kingdom of darkness, ever. We walk by the Spirit and we fulfill what God wants anyway. Amen. Kingdom of grace. And it takes all the pressure off, doesn't it? It takes all the anxiety out of living, uh, knowing that we already have peace with God and that we can just live our lives and He already has given us the Holy Spirit. He's going to show us what to do and we can just live our lives without pressure, without anxiety, without thinking that we are not going to get to heaven. Because Paul says, thirdly, we expect to get to heaven. (laughs) We expect to get to glory. That's what he says. We have this hope of future glory. So what he's saying is, it's so certain for Paul, it's it's like he's saying to us, you're already in heaven. Now, did you know that? You're already in heaven right now. Your body is still here on earth, but you're already in heaven. That's what Paul is saying. He's so certain of it, he's saying this future thing that is still to come, it's like you, it's as good as if you are there already. And so when we die, why do we sing there's no sting in death as Christians? Why? Because there is no sting in death. We just slip from this physical dimension into eternal glory with our Father. And it's as good as if we are already there. It is so certain. That's what Paul says. Therefore, you can live as a Christian. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, I want to say you can live a fearless life. You don't have to fear cancer. You don't have to fear disease. You don't have to fear dying. Why? Because it's as good as that you're in heaven with your Father already because of what Jesus has done. No? You don't believe me? This is what the Scripture says. This is why it's called good news. This is why it's extraordinary good news. That's why some people don't want to believe it. They say, it's too simple. It can't possibly be that simple. Yes, it is. That's what Paul says. That's what Jesus says. We expect to get to glory. And then, I was thinking of this. It's like Paul says, we can have certainty of our relationship with Jesus now. And he then says, we have this kingdom of grace, which is also a wonderful thing that we enjoy now. And he says it's like it's as good as we're in heaven already, right now. It's like he jumps from one to those, and there's, there's something else that is in the middle. It's like our lives right now, isn't it? And Paul jumps back to that when he says, in this life you will have many troubles. He's, he's not, not trying to ignore the issue. He's saying, actually, but knowing Jesus and getting to heaven one day, in, the, in, in, in between, we might have some troubles. But then he goes on and says, but don't worry. Why? Because the love of God has been been shed into your heart and it gives you a reason to understand why you're going through some hard things. And God has given you His Spirit to help you and God has given His love, which is in your heart anyway, and it helps you cope with those things that are difficult. What a gospel. I said yesterday, I'm not saying that God ever says, enjoy your troubles. That would be weird. Wouldn't it? 
our families have been through this thing with Matt for the last three years, trying to find out what was giving him those things. We did not enjoy one moment of it. That would be weird to say we enjoyed it. He didn't enjoy one moment of it. But the promise of God for us is rejoice in your trial. In other words, what does that mean? It means you can live above panic. You can live above anxiety. You can still have a smile on your face knowing this, that God knows what's going on. That's the difference. That's what it means to rejoice in your troubles. It doesn't mean you enjoy the horrible thing. That's masochistic. That's weird. We're not weird. We don't enjoy the horrible things. But we can overcome them. We can live with joy because God enables us to live above them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you still with me? I'm nearly finished. He goes on, he says, we experience God, God's love. Um, and he says, this is the lo- lo- logical argument that Paul paints. He says, because we've been accepted by God now, with this righteousness of Jesus, we are safe from the wrath of God that is to come. And so he goes on to say, that brilliant verse in, in chapter 8, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I rejoice in that every time I see it. There's no condemnation for us. And he says, he, he says, because while we were still enemies of God, he died for us anyway, so we don't have to fear any coming judgment because that price has been paid already and we can live free without anxiety. What a gospel. What an amazing gospel. And this is what I want to conclude with. He finishes by saying we are already God's friends. Isn't that amazing? He says you have been reconciled to God. He's so sure of it. He's saying it's not just a future thing that's going to happen one day when you're heaven. You are already God's friend right now. It's certain. It's sure. God is already smiling on you. God is, God is uh, all-powerful. He He's your, your closest friend. He's never going to moralize with you about things that you do wrong. He's, he, he's, he's affectionate right now towards you. He's accepting right now towards you. He's a friend who will never expose your weaknesses before other people. This is how God is. And you enjoy all of that right now. I want to say God is smiling over you. God is not angry with anyone. He's angry with sin, doesn't like sin, but sin has been dealt with on the cross. They say he's not angry. He's smiling on you right now. I I want you to know that he's smiling on you. He thinks you're good. He thinks you're okay. He thinks you're wonderful. He, 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 He knows that you're his child. How come we get so angry with other people? Ah, we should be those that are helping the, the grace of God transform us. The same grace that we've received, we extend to other people. Because God is smiling on me, I can smile on others. You know why we get so angry with other people? Because we don't give grace to ourselves. If we just realize that we're okay and we don't have to strive and we don't have to get bitter and we can't choose to live differently by the power of the Spirit, then we can extend that same grace to other people. But if we're always bitter and always angry and always upset with other people, it's because we yet do not fully understand the grace of God in our own lives and what He's really done for us. Amen?